Hey, it's Cody Woodard, and this is our podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. I hope this message encourages you and helps you see that God wants to do something new in and through your life. Enjoy the message. Lord, anybody thankful for a God that turns it around? Amen. Amen. Uh, hey, can we just give it up for all of our first-time guests in the house today? Come on, church, make some noise. Yeah. Hey, I want you to do a little bit better and welcome everybody watching online today. Come on, y'all, thank you so much for tuning in. You're a part of our extended family. Well, we are in week two of a series we've entitled, God Help Me. And if you missed last week, we talked about addiction to approval. And uh, if you missed that, you can go online to YouTube, on Facebook, on our website, you can watch that message back. But um, I just wanna stop and, and pause for a second and just say thank you. Um, not only do I feel the freedom to preach on really difficult and hard topics, but in the midst of that, I feel the freedom because of your, your grace and your mercy um, to actually be vulnerable and share my own struggle. And so I just hope that encourages you um, because we can't love the real you if we don't know the real you. So you don't need to pretend to me or pretend to the people around you. God is a, a God of restoration. He takes your brokenness, He takes your shame, He takes your questions, He takes your doubt. He says to take your anxiety and cast it upon Him. Why? Because He cares for you, amen? Amen. Well, uh, I, I wanna talk around this, this topic of anxiety and depression today. And the reason I, I kinda coupled these two together is because of what Proverbs 25 says. It says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, but a good word, say good word, a good word makes it glad. And before we open up the scriptures, I first wanna just recognize that these two topics are heavy and, um, and they're difficult, they're difficult to even talk about. And, and there's a lot that we could say, I could do a whole series on this alone, um, but they're physiological, they're emotional, they're situational, they're spiritual. And so anytime I talk about something like this, I wanna take a holistic approach um, and just go ahead and tell you that for some of you, if this is a struggle of yours, um, you don't need to feel guilt and shame. It may be a, a great next step to go and get some help from a doctor that can prescribe medicine or help you with a diet. Um, it, it'd be great to join a group of people that are around you. Um, but for me, I, I just, I'm gonna speak on the thing that, that God has given me the authority to speak on, um, and that's the spiritual. And I just believe that the Word of God is living and active and can speak not only to your sin, but also to your struggle, can speak to this issue right here, right now, and can change you from the inside out. Anybody believe that? Amen. Well, let me pray for you. If you're open to what God wants to do today, stretch your hand towards heaven. Father, thank you so much for the people under the sound of my voice. Thank you for those in the room. Thank you for those watching online. Thank you for those who will come to the next service. And uh, Father, I just, God, I just bring this before you an issue that is so heavy. God, just this week we saw people lose their life to the effects of anxiety and depression. And God, I know there's people in this room that have considered taking their life. There's people in this room that know people who have. There's people right here right now, including myself, that struggle with anxious thoughts, dark thoughts into their mind and in their heart. But God, we know that depression and anxiety must bow to you. And so God, as we open up your word, transform us from the inside out. We love you and we thank you. And in Jesus' mighty name, everybody set. Amen. Hey, you guys can take a seat. God, help me. I am battling anxiety. Philippians chapter four, I want to read this to you. A powerful text. Here's what uh, Paul says in his letter to the church in Philippians. If you got your Bible, you can just turn there real quick, but it'll be on the screen. He says this, rejoice in the Lord always. 
I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. Now, let me switch to the New King James Version. Be anxious for nothing. Say nothing. Not when we feel like it, not sometimes, not when everything's going our way. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God that transcends, that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus, Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. Be anxious for nothing. I remember in May of 2020 when I did a book study on Paul's letter to the Philippians. And I remember getting to chapter four and reading that two months into COVID. We're five and a half months old as a church. We're online, nobody's in the room. And I read those words, rejoice in the Lord always, and be anxious for nothing. And I just thought, is that even possible? Like, like God, I know you know what's going on, but Paul, you're the one that wrote it. You don't know what in the world's going on. You might've been in prison, but you don't know nothing about no COVID. And I just remember like wrestling with like rejoice and be anxious for, no, for nothing, no, nothing. Not even a little thing, no, nothing. I'm thinking, do you know that right now we have no idea what we're doing? I mean, some people are saying that COVID isn't dangerous. Other people say that COVID is. The news is reporting one thing on this side and it's reporting something different on the other. I know people like myself that almost had to be hospitalized. I know people that lost their life, but then I know people that didn't even get a cough. I know people that got the vaccine, they didn't get the vaccine. I got one side of people saying, go get it. I got doctors saying it's cool. I got another side that says, don't get it. There's not enough research. I got people saying, wear a mask because it helps. I'm saying, I'm hearing other people say, don't wear a mask because it's pointless. There's racial tension, political friction. And I got a group of people who have pastored for five months that fall on both spectrums. And if, if I make people wear a mask, well, then I'm falling in and praying or falling prey to the media and believing the lie. But if I don't wear pe make people wear masks, I'm being insensitive to another group of people. Be anxious for nothing? Like we ain't even got into the fact that I got to figure out what in the world to say to a camera with no people in the room. We haven't even gotten into the fact that my wife is eight months pregnant, about to have our second baby in the middle of COVID. But I'm supposed to lead a church, they didn't teach me that in church planning 101. <laughs> but be anxious for, for nothing. And, in, and for the first time in my life, I, I really identify now looking back that I struggled with, with anxiety. There were moments where I, I literally couldn't catch my breath. I was constantly being overwhelmed by these really dark thoughts, these lies that you're not enough and you can't do this and the church is gonna close. And I remember really, really struggling in that season. And I know so many of you, you did too. And I remember what God was teaching me then. And to be honest with you, I don't, I didn't handle that season perfectly. I'd never really dealt with anxiety. 
And so what I wanna do today is maybe teach you a couple things God's taught me through his word, that when anxiety attacks you, how for you to attack it. And I, I wanna go to a, an Old Testament passage in 1 Kings chapter 19, and I wanna introduce you to a prophet named Elijah. Elijah was a great man of God. God had called him, anointed him to be the prophet of Israel, powerful man. Um, but Elijah had a run-in with a guy named King Ahab. And what Elijah did is he, he prophesied a drought that would come on the nation, and that would completely mess up King Ahab's kingdom. And so then Elijah finds himself on the run for three years, hiding, trying not to die. He finally gets caught up with by 850 men, but Elijah wasn't no punk. Elijah stood up and he stood down 850 men who were false prophets. Now that's a big deal. Some of y'all can't even stand down one person. He stood down 850. Not only that, Elijah saw God provide for him over and over and over. When he was on the run, God provided him a raven. He provided him with meat. He constantly saw the faithfulness, the provision, the hand and the promise of God on his life. But then something happened. There was a woman who was King Ahab's wife named Jezebel. And after everything that Elijah had been through, this one grumpy, mean old lady gets up in his grill and Elijah falls apart. I mean, he can talk down entire armies, but he can't handle one woman. And what Jezebel told King Ahab, her husband was, listen, if you can't take him out, then I guess a woman's gotta do the job. I'm gonna kill him. So Elijah is on the run. And what we're gonna see is him spiral into this anxiety and depression and pray some really difficult and say some really hard things that you may have seen and said too. And what I want you to watch for as I unpack this passage is four mistakes that Elijah makes when he's battling anxiety and depression, when he's on the run, overwhelmed, fearing for his life. I want you to pay attention to the four mistakes he's made and see maybe if you've made the same ones. First Kings chapter 19, starting in verse three. If you're ready for the word of God, shout, I'm ready. ready. Need a second, say, hold up. All right, here we go. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. Notice how irrational he is. He's running from one woman and her army trying to kill him. And his biggest fear is that she will. And then what does he say? Verse four, I have had enough, Lord. Anybody prayed that before? He says, I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. See, some of you, that's exactly where you are right now. You're in that season, that moment where you're thinking, I have had enough. And if I got to keep doing this, just go ahead and take me now. For some of you, it's your job and you're working and you're working and you're working and you're trying as hard as you can. And every single morning you come in, your boss has something else to say. And you're just thinking, if he says one more thing, if she's got one more smart remark, I am over it. 
For others of you, it's in your marriage, relationship maybe, where you have tried and tried and tried and tried, and you kept being met with lies and lies and deceitfulness, and you're thinking, if, if, if they lie one more time, I'm, I'm done, this is over, it's gone, it's dead. For some of you, you're a single parent and you're working your butt off, and if the soccer coach reschedules a stupid practice one more time, you're gonna show him that you too know how to kick a soccer ball. For others of you, it's if you cook dinner like you do every single night, and you've cooked dinner now for five years, if, and nobody thanks you, and if you gotta cook one more meal and not get a thank you, you're gonna lay somebody out in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right, like you have had enough. That's where he is. I remember being there, I had had, I had, had enough. And so watch the first mistake Elijah makes and that you and I often make, the first thing that he does that we do is we run ourselves into the ground. That when we're tired, when we're hurting, we run ourselves into the ground. It says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life when he came to Beersheba. Now, you may not be familiar with the geography of this, but Beersheba was 100 miles away. Do I got any runners in the house? Any runners online? He ran 100 miles without stopping. Four marathons, just took off Forrest Gump. And he comes to the point where it's like, he can't run any further, he's gonna hit water. And so he finds himself exhausted and runs himself into the ground to the point he says, God, I just wanna die. And some of us know what it's like to run ourselves into the ground. That's where you are right now. You're running and you're running and you're running. Now, you may not run 100 miles, Lord knows I don't but you running somewhere. You may not run to Knoxville to blow off some steam, but you might run to a bottle, might run to pills, might run to overtime at work, may run to a dating app, to Netflix, to a computer screen. We're all running somewhere when we're dealing with something. Now, I remember this feeling of being run into the ground in COVID. I told you kind of my thoughts on it, but what I think really kind of led to this really dark place for me was I felt this extreme amount of pressure, and maybe you know what this is like. I felt this extreme amount of pressure to act, if, act as if and portray as if I knew what I was doing. So like we're five months old as a church, no one taught me how to do this, but I felt this extreme amount of pressure to like, well, I can't really get a guest speaker to kind of come in and talk to people because people don't know them, don't, nor do they care about them. And every other guest speaker is struggling with what I'm struggling with and no one wants to preach in front of a camera screen with no, with no audience. And so I, I found myself exhausted in believing this lie that what people needed, I'm not proud of this, but what people needed was their pastor to give direction and be a voice in an unknown season. But what that led to was me preaching 26 weeks in a row. That may not mean much to you. A sermon takes me about 25 to 30 hours a week to put in. And I'm just telling you, it's difficult every single week trying to come up with content to say the same old thing that God loves you. He has a plan for your life. And without Jesus, you have nothing. And so I just found myself exhausted. And that's what we do. We run ourselves into the ground. 
Here's the second thing we see. Watch this. It says, he came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Here's the second thing we do. We shut people out. See, this guy had his back. I mean, this cat just ran a hundred miles with Elijah. He didn't do it alone. Like he had to do this. Like, I guess I'm gonna serve you. Just jogging behind for his gunk. And after all that time, he knew he had somebody with him. What does he do when he gets to the point he's overwhelmed and exhausted and he wants to die? He says, I don't need you anymore. You stay here. This is too much for you. I'm going alone into the wilderness. Why is that a problem? Because there is an enemy roaming and roaring around looking to devour people who are going into the wilderness alone. And so he goes into the wilderness and he's, he's going, I don't, I don't really need your help. And I remember feeling that same thing. I remember in that season, I shut my wife out. Not because I didn't love her, that she wasn't there, that she didn't care. But have you ever had one of those moments where you're dealing with something that you don't have an answer to and you feel like if you tell them, they're gonna have to carry it too and you don't want that to happen? Like, I don't wanna be a burden to you. So until I figure it out, I'm not about to talk to you about it because one, you either don't care or two, now it's just gonna bug you. So I'll just do it alone. We shut people we shut people out. You think that you don't need anyone. See, when you're dealing with this, you're just going, hey, I just think it would be better if I fight this demon by myself. And by the way, let me plug this. This is why we do groups. They're more than just like a place to hang out. It's why tonight we have Connect Night to actually help you see that church wasn't meant for you to just sit in a row, but rather be the church and live life on Monday so that when you're going through things, you got somebody who's got your back. Like one of the things that encouraged me this week is I was looking on Instagram and, and I saw like four different, at different times, different groups of people that met each other in less than a month at our church, did not know they existed. And yet they're hanging out and they're spending time with each other on Friday night because they found community. Like, amen for that. Like, I remember, like, honestly, like 98% of you, I didn't even know two and a half years ago. Now I can't imagine doing life without you. I mean, we went on vacation last year and they're going again on vacation this year with some people who were in our group. Why? Because we believe that life is better together. Can I get an amen? So here's what happens right? We, we run ourselves into the ground. We shut people out. And then here's the third thing. If you're taking notes, we focus on the negative. Elijah said, I'm no better than my ancestors. We compare. I'm no better than them. It's like, Elijah, what are you talking about, dude? You are the prophet of Israel. Like you've raised people from the dead. You called down fire from heaven and just burnt up the enemy. I would say, you know, you're probably doing okay. But, but what is he doing? He's focusing on the negative. He's like, I'm no better than, than anybody else. Isn't that what we do? It'll never get better. I'll always be alone. I'll never change. No one understands. I have nobody. Nobody cares. And what do we do? We do the same thing Elijah did. While he was walking away from God, while he was facing his battle, he forgot his God. Don't we do that? Like God had been faithful, God had provided, God has shown up time and time and time again. But while facing his problems, he forgot his God. 
That's the fourth thing. We forget God. We, we forget that I still got breath in my lungs and God brought me through that and I made it today. And so maybe, just maybe, God is closer than I think. And so Elijah, here he is, he's running in the, in the opposite direction, for, forgetting his God, wanting to die forgetting that God will provide, has provided, will continue to provide like so many of us. And what does God do in his darkest moment? The same thing he'll do in yours, he'll provide. God provided, watch this. Elijah falls asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Turn to your neighbor, say, get up and eat. After church, get up and eat after church. Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals in a jar of water. He ate and drank and then took a nap again. See, God saw him in his weakest moment. God saw him depleted. God saw him exhausted. God saw him in this moment where he's like, I can't take it anymore. I don't have anything left to give. I cannot continue to do this by myself. And what does God do? God gave him bread, God gave him water, and God gave him rest. You know what God does for you? When you're tired and exhausted and anxious and hurting and feel like you're alone, God sent a man that was the bread of life, the living water, and the Sabbath rest for your soul. He says, listen, I'm gonna restore and replenish everything you lost in that last season. That's a word for somebody. You came in tired, you wondered why you showed up to church today. It's because this last season took everything you had and God said, I brought you in here to feed your heart, feed your mind, feed your soul so that you would know I'm still there. But that's not all he did. Elijah fell back asleep. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat. He says, get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. So God, the first time, provided him food, water, and rest for what he had been through so he could be restored. Why give him more? Because this time God's going, I restored what you lost in the past. Now I'm gonna give you what you need to continue to move on in the future. And that's why you're here. It's not just so that you know you've been forgiven and that you need to be replenished to make it through today. That's the first part. But now God wants to feed your mind, heart, and soul and say, but now I'm gonna give you enough to sustain the journey of head. What you needed in the last season was the grace of God to save you. And what you will need in the next one is the grace of God to sustain you. Strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights into the wilderness. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars. 
put your prophets to death with the sword. Watch what he says. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. The Lord was not in the earthquake. The Lord was not in where the wind blew. The Lord was not in when the fire raged. Earth, wind, and fire. Just a little nod for some of you guys that are a little older. <laughs> he wasn't there. God did not show up in the spectacular. He showed up in the ordinary. And here's how it works. When you're overwhelmed, anxious, depressed, feeling like you cannot go on, you will hear the enemy shout from the mountaintops that you're not enough. Why doesn't God? Why does God choose to whisper? Because he's close. And when he whispers, it causes you to lean in a little bit more. He whispers because he's close. And so the next time you're overwhelmed, the next time you feel like you can't keep going, the next time you find yourself in a dark depression, hearing the enemy shout from the rooftops that life is not worth living, you just remember the whisper of God that says, I've never left you. I've never forsaken you. I am enough. I'm your provider. I'm your strength. I'm your breath. I'm your God. I am not finished with you. Amen. Amen. And so anxiety in the heart leads to depression, but a good word makes it glad. Is this a good word today? It's a good word. I wanna help just maybe bring a little bit of application on what to do when anxiety attacks you, how do you attack it? Here's the first thing, name the trigger. Turn to your neighbor, say, name the trigger. What is a trigger? A trigger is a stimulus, anything, uh, sight, audible, it's a feeling, it's a touch, it's a place, and, and we have to name the trigger. You gotta name it if you wanna change it. And so for some of us, what triggers the anxiety or the sadness or the loneliness or the depression could be a sound. It could be music. Maybe the music is your trigger. And you used to be in love and you had that one song, you know, that made you feel the butterflies flying around. And that song comes on the radio and all of a sudden it triggers that memory of now how you're no longer together. They left you, they don't love you anymore. And you start to go, I guess I'm alone. I guess I'm not worthy of love. I guess no one cares. I guess this will always be that way. And what happens? The anxiety turns into a depression and you feel like you're alone. But you gotta name the trigger. For some of us, it's a place. 
And it's when you continue to go back to that place, all of a sudden you remember what happened in your childhood. And then you find yourself struggling once again. You got, you got a name, the trigger. Isn't it amazing how so many of us deal with comparison and feeling like we're not enough, but we'll continue to get on Instagram to the very place that's depleting us? You gotta name it if you wanna change it. Turn to your neighbor, say, name the trigger. Here's the second thing, shift the spotlight. Say, shift the spotlight. Shift the spotlight. Why? Because we focus on the negative. We, we throw a spotlight on everything that's wrong, everything that's going bad, everything we're not. But God says, no, 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 I want you to shift the, I want you to shift the spotlight. Psychologists have a term for that. It's called the spotlight effect. And the spotlight effect is this idea that where we focus on the negative and catastrophize, which that means we, we make more than it really is as a way to medicate or to protect ourselves. And so what a lot of us do is we make the situation a lot worse than it really is because if I can go through the pain and through the trauma in my mind, if it actually happens, I'll feel better. See, the spotlight effect is when you and I walk into a room and we make something more than it really is and we feel like everybody's looking at us. Anybody felt that before? where you walk in and something inside of you feels like everybody notices that one little gray hair you got. Everyone notices the little blemish on your face. Everyone notices that you're wearing, you know, brown and navy and black in, the, in your clothing and don't match, hello. Everybody notices it. And, and what happens, this is a big reason why so many people will, will deal with, this isn't to shame, but we'll deal with social anxiety is because they're believing the lie of the spotlight effect. And what psychologists will tell you is they'll tell you it is a lie. People are not looking at you as much as you think they're looking at you. Why? Because they're focused on themselves. And what you'll also find out is that 80% of what you worry about never actually happens. Another 13 to 15% that when it does happen, the thing, your, your worst fear, your, your anxiety, the thing that you, you dread the most, when it does happen, it's never as bad as you thought it would. And so what we gotta do is we gotta shift the spotlight. How do we do that? What does God tell Elijah? He says, I want you to get up and I want you to go on the mountain and stand in the presence of the Lord. Sounds familiar. What did Jesus do when he was tired? He went up on the mountain and stood in the presence of the Lord and did what? Pray. Prayer is how we shift the spotlight off of our problem and onto our God. Paul says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. So if it matters to you, it matters to God. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. And so he says to pray about everything. So if you're anxious about your job, pray about your job. If you're anxious about your marriage, pray about your marriage. If you're anxious about your kids, pray about your kids. If you're anxious about the economy, pray about the economy. If you're anxious about gas prices, fill up early. You know what I'm saying? And pray about it. If it matters to you, listen, I'm serious. If it matters to you, it matters to God. 
if it's on your mind, it's on his heart, he says to pray about everything. And by prayer and supplication, what's supplication? It is a humble plead. What's a humble plead? Here's the prayer. God, help me, I'm anxious. God, help me, I'm depressed. God, help me, I'm afraid. God, help me, I'm addicted. God, help me, I'm alone. God, help me because I cannot do it for myself. And what happens is you begin to shift the spotlight off of your problem and onto your God. And then he says, pray with thanksgiving or with gratitude. Here's why this is so important. Watch this. The prayer is what shifts the spotlight onto your God, but it's in thanksgiving that that spotlight actually gets focused. What does it focus on? Rather than focusing on what you don't have, you start to look at your God and realize all that you do have. When you're thankful and you're grateful for, for God, you're not just focused on all the blessings you haven't received, but rather when you're thankful and you begin to look at God, you start to get a different perspective and thank him for the blessings you have received. So we pray with thanksgiving and what happens and the peace of God, isn't that what you're after? You want peace? Do you know what anxiety is? I've said this before, but you know when you're driving a car and your check engine light comes on from the devil? Anybody else? It's like every time you fix it, the engine light comes back on. Now, is the engine light the problem? No. What does the engine light show? It shows that there is a problem somewhere beneath the hood and you need to take it to a mechanic, to the manufacturer, so that they can actually fix the problem. What is anxiety? Anxiety is a signal that it's time to pray. That it would be wise of you when you're feeling anxious to go to the one that made you that can see in your heart and in your mind and actually address the thing that's causing you to be anxious. So he says, pray about it. And then you get the peace of God that what? It transcends your understanding. Transcends your anxiety. Transcends your depression transcends your fear and the peace of God guards your heart and your mind through Christ Jesus anybody thankful for Jesus come on so what are we gonna do we're gonna name the trigger we're gonna shift the spotlight this is a big one number three get some help get some help watch what God tells Elijah he says go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Haziel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elijah, son of Snapchat, come on somebody, son of Shaphat, from Abel Maloa to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Haziel. Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. What is God telling Elijah to do? He's saying, go back and get some help. Because as you were facing your problem, you not only forgot your God, but you overlooked the people around you too. God's going, I appointed people in your life that are also in the wilderness that are there that will help you. That you feel like you're all alone. Elijah said, I'm the only one left. God says, no, you're not. There are people that have not given in to the enemy's tactics that are for you, not against you, 
that can actually help you if you will go back and get help. Like some of us need to stop being prideful and think that we can handle it all by ourselves and actually allow people to come in because scripture tells us that when we confess our sins to one another, you can be healed. And some of us are dealing with these issues and maybe the reason you stay and you feel like you're stuck is because you're doing it alone. Like what would happen? What if the thing you think you're alone in, the person sitting next to you is battling as well? What if the struggle that you have that nobody else gets, what if you're sitting in front of somebody who dealt with that struggle 10 years ago, but got on the other side of it, got some help, it can help you walk to a place of wholeness and healing. That's why we're doing midweek on Wednesday night. It's because we wanna take this conversation deeper and actually give us a space to process with one another. Wednesday night, 6 p.m., be here. So why we're doing parent, the parent seminar. It's why this summer we're launching Celebrate Recovery and, and groups on leadership. It's why we care about the next generation and we're doing VBS because we weren't made to go through life alone. And so what are we gonna do? We're gonna name the trigger. We're gonna shift the spotlight. We're gonna get some help. And then here's number four, add a word. Some of you are like, add a word? Yeah, Bible says a good word makes the heart glad. Let, let me give you a good word when you're anxious and overwhelmed and you feel like you wanna quit and you're like, it's over, period, end of statement. I wanna encourage you, see past the punctuation, see past the period, see past what you're going through and add a word. First Kings 19 verse 18 says this, yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. What is he saying to Elijah? He's saying, you think you're alone. You think that everybody's abandoned me, but guess what? It's not over. There are people out there, yet I reserved 7,000 that are not against you, but that are for you. I'm not finished yet. That's the word, yet. Turn to your neighbor and say, yet. God says, yet. Elijah, you think it's over. Yet I reserved. Yet I saved. And so the next time the enemy shouts from the rooftops in your mind, I want you to hear the whisper of God saying, yet. I'm not healed. Y'all ain't gonna help me preach. I'm not whole. I'm not over it. Y'all better stand to your feet. The prodigal has not come home. My family is not restored. My marriage is not fixed. I haven't seen revival. God isn't done yet. That's a good word, amen. Clap your hands if you're thankful for the grace of God. And here's what I love. Elijah's story doesn't end here. If you don't know his story, what happens? He goes and he does exactly what God said to do. He gets the help. He anoints Elisha to be the next prophet of Israel. And the thing that Elijah feared the most, what was it? Death. Do you know how he died? He didn't. God sent a chariot of fire down from heaven 
And Elijah never tasted physical death. He was swept up and he left and went to heaven. The thing he feared the most never happened. I've been leaning towards it all day. He was anxious for nothing. I just came to tell somebody, some of you are so overwhelmed right now, you're anxious for nothing. And you're like, well, what if it actually happens? Yet my God is good. Yet I can still praise Him. Yet He's still faithful. Yet He'll still carry me through. So I'm gonna trust Him in the process. I'm gonna rejoice always. I'm gonna say it again, rejoice. Why? Let everything that has breath praise the Lord because my God is good. Amen. So be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God that transcends your understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, amen? Hey, I want us to just sing this as a reflection. Band, you guys can come on out. I wanna pray for you. And uh, if you will, close your eyes. And, and right now, if this message spoke to you, if you needed this word from God today, if you're battling anxiety and depression, no one looking around, I just want you to lift your hand. Right now, I feel like this is a struggle for me. Hands going up all over the room. God, I, I pray for every hand lifted. I pray for the families of the hands lifted right now. God, that they would point people to you. God, that you would speak into that dark place, that you would provide them what you need, provide them with the living water, provide them with the breath of life, provide them with the Sabbath rest, knowing that you are God, you are in control, you are the source, you are the supply, and we can trust you. God, thank you for being our God. Thank you for overcoming death for us. And so God, I pray for those, you can put your hand down, I pray for those who've never given their life to you, who have ran, not to your presence, but away from it. I pray for those who've ran to the bottle, ran to the pills, ran to another relationship, ran to a computer screen, ran to overtime at work, ran to everything other than you. God, would you fill their heart, fill their mind, fill their soul right now with the presence of Jesus. God, would you come in, would you take over, would you transform them from the inside out? God, save right now, do what only you can do. And church, pray this out loud. Say, God, today, I surrender. I give my life to you. I believe you're enough for me. Thank you for dying on the cross and raising from the grave so that I can be forgiven and set free. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody set. Amen. Hey, y'all give God a shout of praise for everybody who gave their life today. Thank you so much for listening to the message today. If it encouraged you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Send us an email to stories at renovation.church. And if you'd like to partner with us financially and help us continue to reach people all over the world, you can do that by going to our website, renovation.church give. Have a blessed day.